So where do you stand? Do you usually stand in your own shoes and rarely step out of them? Or do you sometimes stand in someone else's shoes? Putting ourselves in another person's shoes and seeking to understand what they are really thinking, what they're feeling, what they are experiencing is probably one of the greatest gifts and actually probably one of the greatest tools that God gives a child of his. Because when we're able to take that gift and that opportunity to step and connect with someone else in this world that God has also created, God uses those points of connection. He uses those opportunities of crisis for his kingdom and his gospel to be advanced. Day after day, moment by moment, there are opportunities that we are given to be able to see the gospel advance through that specific manner. Our text today is a familiar story about Lazarus and about how Jesus came. And we didn't get to the rest of the story where he raises him from the dead, which is an amazing part of this, of course, encounter. But here, and we stopped here at the text because we're focusing on what Jesus did in these moments before he raised Lazarus from the dead. How he ministered to so many and how he specifically did that before he actually performed the miracle of raising Lazarus to life. Jesus himself spoke into the situation, but he also moved into this situation. It was certainly a crisis. Mary and Martha, all those who knew their family, all who knew Lazarus and loved him dearly, were in a period of mourning, of grief, as Lazarus had been ill and then had died. And so you have, first of all, a life crisis that offers a fertile soil for seeing the gospel advanced. And that's the first thing we can see here. That any time crisis happens, struggle happens of some insignificance in our life or in someone else's life, that is fertile soil for the gospel to be advanced. It's fertile soil for God and His Spirit to do a work. He can do a work in any soil, in any time He desires. He does what He desires, when and how He desires. And yet, at least in my own life and in my experience as a pastor, it seems in times of life struggle, in times where there is crisis or even significant opportunities where people are going through a particular struggle, they are open. I have found myself even more open to who God is in my own life, to what it means to know Him and to understand how to relate to the God who created me. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. Life crisis offers that fertile soil for seeing the gospel advance. And I thought about this as Jesus is there with Mary and Martha and all the other Jews who were there with them. Life crisis reveals our human fragility. We're so fragile. And when something happens unexpectedly and it breaks or it doesn't go the way we thought it would go, we are faced with what? Our 
humanness. We're faced with how fragile we really are. And kind of the illusion that we daily live with, that we are kind of invincible or that's just not going to happen to me when you hear about the statistics of everything from cancer rates to all sorts of things, addictions and so forth, we say, well, that just can't happen to me. That illusion kind of just goes away when something significant happens in our life. Or if something happens to someone even really close to us and we're our We are affected by that. It reveals truly the human limitation that we are finite. God is infinite, yet we are finite and we just can't do what we think we can do. We are limited in our capacities in so many ways. Life truly is fragile. Age brings this truth into greater focus. As I look at very clearly the second half of my life now, um, however long God has it for me, it may not be half, I have no idea what God has in store, but as I look ahead, even the things of aging and getting older, the little things you have to do. I've been in the hospital more in the past year than I have probably the previous 20. It's just you start having to do certain things and check certain things out and have certain tests and do certain things. It just seems like, wow, a lot could really go wrong, you know? It's almost like you don't want to do any of that stuff because you're constantly faced with the issues of your humanness and your fragility. Psalm 39 says this, the psalmist says, you've made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. See, sometimes we think we're secure. We look around and our life, our family, our world, and it may seem like everything, everything's going all right and it's secure, and then something snaps, something happens, and we're really not secure in the things of this world. How challenging that is for us. Just since we've been back from our time in the summer break, my wife Charlotte came back with basically a fever, a low-grade fever. And she had this fever and went on and on and on. And we said, well, what's going on? So finally, after a couple of weeks of just not, not knowing, went to the doctor and they said, well, let's check this out, this out. And then we just started going through a battery of specialists and tests and blood work, and they took eight vials of blood, then 10 vials of blood, and it was just like all this was going on, and yet there were now possibilities of things that we didn't really want to have to consider. So we went through that whole about a month, five weeks of all these things that were going on, and it seems now, so I'll quickly give you the end of the story, um, that she had a, an offset viral, uh, I think we think, um, thyroiditis in her thyroid, which caused her body just to go all out of whack. And it was just a virus that then gave her her thyroid problems and made it happen the way it did. We believe she's on the mend now, but it was just something we had never thought of would happen and would never think again. And yet, things like this happen, and it shows us that we are so fragile. We're so fragile, and yet sometimes we don't realize it. You know, because of life crisis and how it disrupts our whole world at times, of routines, of our, what we think is in control, it reveals 
how fragile we really are. You know, when a person is confronted with the reality that their life is really so fragile, they're often very much open to spiritual reality or spiritual change, much more so. You know, those of you here today that are first responders, that's your occupation, or those here today that might have someone in your family that's a first responder, or maybe you also work in the medical field, in medicine, doctors, nurses, those who go and serve and minister to people. You truly are ministers of mercy to all kinds of people with all types of crisis. Think about this. You are in a target-rich environment spiritually if you're in those situations. When something happens, you are in a very target-rich environment for where people need to hear and understand who God is, who the Lord Jesus Christ is in their situations. You know, God controls the condition of the soil. I said it's a fertile soil when things happen like this. It's a fertile soil for the gospel to be advanced. But God even controls the conditions of the soils and how that happens in our lives. Last Sunday, I mentioned that I had uh, prayed for a man on the sidelines at the, at the North Cobb game where I, I serve as a chaplain. And um, I mentioned just how much that ministered to him. But then that same uh, evening, I noticed one of the players wasn't quite just himself from what I knew of him. And so I asked him if I could pray for him and ask him how he was doing. He really didn't share much. And so I said, well, I'll just pray for you. He said, yeah, that'd be fine. I prayed for him that Friday night. And then we we finished the game, everything was over, went home Saturday, Sunday, this is Labor Day weekend, went by, and then uh, Sunday night, I get a text from him, this player, and he tells me what's really going on in the text a little bit, so I called him, we talked, and then we got together the next day, and we talked, and I listened, and I heard what was going on in his life, and then I prayed with him. You know, when things do break when we're, we need to reach out and help and get help. God always provides those opportunities. Maybe there's someone you can think of right now in your mind. Maybe it's you, or maybe it's someone you know that you need to move towards them. You know something is going on with them. You've seen some struggle, you, and you need to move towards them. They maybe are experiencing just how fragile they are, and God has given you a very significant opportunity. That is what we need to be doing is moving towards others. So it reveals our human fragility, but also life crisis brings eternal reality into focus. Whenever something in our lives, like I said, breaks, we are often faced with eternal realities in a much more clear way and what really is important when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Verses 25 to 27 in our text with Mary and with Martha here. What brings Martha to confess Jesus as Messiah? Look at the text. Martha answered to Jesus after he said, your brother will rise again. She says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection, Martha, and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever believes in me, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you, Martha, believe this? And then this is her confession, a wonderful confession alongside so many in the Gospels who confess Jesus as their Messiah. 
Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. What brings Martha to confess Jesus as Messiah? Well, you might say, based upon what we've already kind of viewed and talked about and thought about already in our text, it was the fact that Lazarus died. That's what brought her to confess Jesus as Messiah. I would say, I don't think so. I don't think just the crisis of Lazarus dying brought her to confess Jesus as Lord at all. It was not the crisis of Lazarus dying. God brought Martha to confess with her mouth because Jesus, God himself, had brought her heart to do that. You see, God only does that work in the heart of someone. He might use the medium of a crisis. He might use an environment of struggle. He might use an incident or an event of brokenness or something in this world that happens, but God himself is the only one that brings us to confess he is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our rescuer, the one who we worship. Here's the key to understanding what we're saying spiritually. The crisis in our life is not the cause of true spiritual change. Sometimes we think, oh, when this happened, that's when I really changed. The crisis itself is not the cause of the spiritual change. It's merely the medium that God uses to do a redemptive work only he can do. It's just merely an agent that God uses. He's the one that changes us. He's the one that literally changes our hearts from death to life. From, that, from a heart that might be callous or cold or indifferent or apathetic to him into a heart that desires him and wants him and follows him and seeks him and has a relationship with him. Jesus brings Martha to understand what is most important about the death of her brother. And what is that? It is this, is that the death of Lazarus has no power over him as Lord. Lazarus' death, as real as it was, has no ability to have power over what the Lord of the universe can do. And following this text, he did just that, raise Lazarus from the dead. The crisis has no power over Jesus, and he can resurrect anyone that he so chooses and give them life. God can resurrect any person from spiritual death and raise them to life. Do you have someone in your life right now that you believe is spiritually without God? Do you have someone in mind you believe in your family or at work or a neighbor or maybe a spouse that does not know Jesus, really? If you do, which I hope you have at least one person that you know of like that, God can change their heart. God can resurrect them from death to life. He can bring them into a relationship with himself for all eternity. Maybe the person you're thinking of, or maybe you're thinking of someone who you absolutely think, there's no way that person could ever become a Christian. I've known them since I was in high school, and they are not going to bend a knee to Jesus or anyone else in this world. I feel that way about someone in my family. Maybe you do too. I struggle with that. 
Sometimes I fail to definitely think God can do a miracle by raising that person to life spiritually. And yet, Jesus clearly does that very act. He brings whoever he chooses from death to light. Ephesians chapter 1 says, For he, that is God, chose us in him before even the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. When God chooses us to be his, we're his for all eternity. God has made that out of his own pleasure. He makes that choice out of his own will and desires. We cannot coerce him. We cannot change him. We cannot manipulate God. God is God. And he does as he so pleasures and so wills to do. We seek him because he has brought us to himself. So life crisis does bring eternal reality in to focus. You know, we've seen just how unexpected struggles or crisis can provide these eternal opportunities to see the gospel advance, but it's so important to watch how Jesus and how he calls us to step into those opportunities, not just observe them from a distance, but to step into them, which is what Jesus did here with Mary and Martha on Lazarus' death. You see, the, the thing that Jesus did that's so important and it teaches us is that empathy matters. Empathy matters. Not sympathy, but empathy. Sympathy's good. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate it when someone is sympathetic to me, and maybe you do. Um, I was raised with a mother who was very sympathetic when her son or sons, one of my brother and myself, were sick and needed pampered, needed chicken noodle soup, and needed to, you know, whatever I needed, a straw, a straw that little bendy straw, you know. I mean, those things, my mother constantly was just whatever, whatever, she's, she was there. You know, even when we have a parent that's like that, still, you, you go through things and you want to be sure, you want to feel that someone else kind of gets what you're going through. When you're going through something, and maybe this morning you're going through something, don't you just want to be sure that, check off the box, I'm not the only one in the world that's going through this, check. Sure you do. And I, I want to be sure that there's someone else that kind of gets what I'm experiencing. Empathy matters. Sympathy is a feeling of compassion or sorry for someone else's condition or struggle. That's sympathy. Empathy is different a little bit more. When you understand, and here's the word that's so significant, empathy is when you understand and vicariously, it's a big word, vicariously experience the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another person without even having to communicate with them in an explicit manner. You can communicate with someone and empathize with them without even having to do it explicitly. It's just known. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Nod your heads if you do. So I can be sure. Okay, good. That is empathy. Now, Jesus was empathetic. He first took the time in his own life to notice and understand the plight of Mary and Martha's brokenness. This is very important. He took the time in his busy ministry life schedule to notice what Mary and Martha and others who love Lazarus were struggling with. Do we do that? Do we just leave or try to create some margins in our life expecting and watching for God to use those margins to move towards others when they need us and even when they're not calling and yet we can move. If we allow our own lives to race at such a breakneck speed, we'll never have time to be aware of someone else's needs around us because we're moving so fast ourselves. We all have schedules, we have lives, we have things, we have family, we have commitment, we have work, we have, and it just doesn't stop. The clock has no um, give to it. It does not stop for you and then go for me. It just keeps going. Time, as we know, is a precious commodity. But if we live our lives at such a rapid pace, we just won't have time to be aware of someone else's need around us. And if we're not aware, then we will never have time to be compassionate or empathetic to someone else's conditions. We just won't. We'll just keep going. We'll just keep plowing through life until finally one day our life will really break. And then when that happens, we'll realize all of those opportunities we've missed as we've been streaming down life at a breakneck speed. When you see another person struggling, and I know you do because I do, and I'm not the only one in the world that sees someone else struggling, we all see around us. When you see someone else struggling, are you moved with compassion towards them? When you see the brokenness of someone else's life, are you moved in your spirit Jesus was. Are you moved? Or you just want to pass it on by and keep going? Are you moved in your spirit enough to make a movement towards them? Step into the situation Jesus did. Jesus did that very thing. When Jesus saw others, he moved towards them. Matthew 14, Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, the text says, and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. When Jesus saw others in need, he moved towards them, not just with a, I feel for them, but then he moved into, he stepped into and did what he could do in their brokenness. Jesus took time to notice and understand, but secondly, also, Jesus was moved by the brokenness of others. Verse 33, notice what it says. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her, also weeping, verse 33, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Notice that it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and all the other Jews that came along also weeping, then it was, he was moved in spirit. Every, every point before that moment, there's nothing that talks about Jesus being deeply moved in spirit before this. 
all the way back when he was told about Lazarus' illness, and then he was aware of what happened, and then he was going back to the area that he had just been threatened to be stoned to death, and he was doing all these things. We don't have anything in the text that describes that internal activity in Jesus' soul until here. And I think that's, I think that's kind of significant. Here's why. When Jesus, it says, saw her weeping, and he saw the others weeping, he was moved. Now, in verse 36, the Jews said about Jesus when he wept, see how he loved Lazarus? Jesus loved Lazarus. Did Jesus weep because he missed Lazarus? Probably. In his, in his humanity, yes. He loved Lazarus. He didn't want to see Lazarus die of an illness prematurely. But it says when he saw their weeping, then he was moved. Even so. Remember, he had already said to Martha, he's going to, he'll rise again. He's already proclaimed that Lazarus is going to rise again. So in some sense, for him to be there weeping after already proclaimed, is it going to come to life? Kind of seems a little odd. But he was moved because they were weeping. He felt compassion and empathy, and he moved towards, I believe, those who were so broken. Remember that Jesus saw their, their brokenness and their weeping, and he made an intentional move to minister to them. You know, Jesus empathizes with us and our weaknesses and our frailties and our fragility. He empathizes with us. The author of Hebrews chapter 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, we don't have to live under, you don't have to live under condemnation or fear anymore. We don't have to live in those circumstances when we understand that Jesus has been tempted in every way like we have and yet was without sin. You see, <clears throat> we don't have to give in to fear when we realize that in our brokenness and our weaknesses, Jesus' perfect record in those temptations and those situations of his life, his perfect record becomes ours. Jesus empathizes with us and he enters into our broken world. And that is what actually the manger and the stable is all about. I know it's not Christmas, and I'm not trying to rush Christmas. But the incarnation, that's what this is all about. That's what the incarnation is about, is Jesus stepping into our world, putting on flesh, God himself, and then connecting with us, ministering to us, being among us and with us, suffering like we suffer, understanding like we need him to understand the divine empathy is what the incarnation shows us. But much more than that, 
God became flesh to love, to serve, to minister. But he also became flesh, the incarnation, to become our substitute. You see, it wouldn't be enough for him just to come and become a man and just empathize with what you're going through. Because after it's all said and done, you're still there. He feels really bad about it. And he's gone through it too. And he can sit next to you and all that your brokenness and all that's going on and just sit with you. But it has to be more than that. And it is more than that. Because he came and he died and he became our substitute. The last thing we have to realize is that Jesus with Mary and Martha and with all those there understood the ministry of presence so well. Why is this amazing, the ministry of presence, that Jesus understood the ministry of presence? What do I mean by the ministry of presence? Not as in, here's a gift. Certainly, it's a gift of salvation. That's not the, it's presence as in P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, that presence. Jesus knew how to be with us. And that's what he was with Mary and Martha. But why is that so amazing? Here's why it's amazing because of who we're talking about. Jesus was what? Master teacher. He was a prophet. He, in John chapter 1, is called the Word. You see, no person ever has or ever will so skillfully and precisely use the spoken word of spiritual truth in this world than Jesus himself. That's the living Son of God we're talking about. He was master of speaking the good news, the proclamation of salvation. No one ever will, ever has been able to do what Jesus did when he was here, verbally. Yet, it says in verse 35, two words, Jesus wept. The master teacher, the one who could talk circles around any Pharisee, anyone who knew the Scriptures backwards and forwards, the one who could do it all verbally, didn't need to. He just was there with them, and he cried with them. He expressed himself in a way that connected to the pain and struggle and did not even need to say a word. Ministry of presence is huge. Last week in my sermon, some of you that were here noticed there was a point at which I broke emotionally. I got a few emails this week. I didn't go into that, but what that was was just my present struggle of pastoral ministry, of seeing your lives broken, seeing my own life broken, and just being discouraged. You see, being a pastor can be, this doesn't come to a surprise, really hard sometimes. And so in the midst of my ongoing trudge through my own battles, a brother called me and asked me to get together. So I did. He really ministered to me. You know how he did? By standing in my shoes. I knew He knew. I knew that he had experienced very similar struggles in his own life. When you sit with someone who understands, you don't even have to speak 
You really don't. If you've lost a spouse and you sit with someone who's lost a spouse, you can sit for hours. If you've lost a child, you need someone else who's lost a child. If you lost your job, you need someone else who's lost a job to sit with you, to listen, but to also be there. We all need each other. We need to support and be there. You know, in God's providence, I left our time together at that lunch, and I went to another brother in our church, and I had the opportunity to encourage him, even in prayer and with tears, about his own situation. We can be ministered to, and we can minister to. But like I said, even our greatest empathy cannot resolve our condition. My great uncle died about a month and a half ago. You see, years before that, his wife passed away. But years before that, he gave her one of his kidneys because she was going to die without it. When he gave her one of his kidneys, she lived for a while, then eventually she passed away. He lived for several years, but then he began to have complications with his one kidney that was remaining. And finally, was the fatal blow to his own life. You can't get much greater empathy than to give your kidney to someone, to put yourself in their shoes, to give a living body part to someone else. But even as much as he did that, he couldn't save her, his wife. She eventually passed. As much as he tried, he did everything he could. He couldn't, you see. Here's the gospel. You've got to move from empathy to substitution to understand who Jesus really is. Okay? Jesus, yeah, Hebrews says Jesus was, uh, empathizes with us, and he is not a high priest who cannot empathize, but it's more than that. He goes from empathy, and he becomes our very substitute, taking on our sin and our depravity and giving us righteousness and eternal life. That's the key. That's the gospel. We have one other time, I believe, you can correct me if I didn't get this right, where we see Jesus shedding tears. It was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem when he wept over Jerusalem. Thank you for that nod. (laughs) That's it, right? But here's what's significant. Jump to the end of the story, Revelation. What do you see and what do you read in Revelation chapter 7? For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. That's our shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here it is. Jesus took on himself all of our tears. So that we would not have to weep for eternity. Jesus came and he shed his tears so that one day our tears would be wiped away. That's the good news. Don't you understand? That is the good news. Let's pray.